Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and moved closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Dear God, in whom we live and move and have our being, Excite and stimulate our religious imaginations as we delve into the glorious mystery of your word. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is a direct continuation of last week's gospel. Reading, um, Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth. Since leaving, he's gotten a reputation as a charismatic speaker and a wonder worker. He's developing a following, and he's going to be the guest preacher at his childhood synagogue on Friday night. The same room he'd grown up in, like the rest of his fellow Nazarenes, listening to less than inspiring sermons and dutifully fulfilling their religious obligations. So let's see what all the hullabaloo is about. There have probably been a lot of curious whispering as the villagers gathered, local boy becomes celebrity. Remember when everyone wanted Jesus to referee the donkey races because he wouldn't accept bribes? Or that time when he gave away a whole pot of his mom's chicken soup to a beggar without asking for permission? Okay, so he was generally a good kid. But outside our little hill country village, that can change a person. Make them jaded, corrupt. Who is this Jesus now? Will we even recognize him? Maybe he's a con man or a wild-eyed revival preacher like his lunatic cousin John. Or is it possible, is it possible that 400 years without a prophet, finally now Yahweh has sent a miracle man like Elijah or even better, like Elisha to ease our suffering? Or they were thinking, I wonder what kind of refreshments they're having after the service tonight. I've heard there was plenty of wine back at that wedding in Cana a month or so ago. Jesus was there, wasn't he? You know, I've had this nagging rash behind my left knee for several weeks now. Maybe he'll zap it away. The synagogue is packed. People are shamelessly rubbernecking to get a better look at the guest speaker. Jesus takes the appointed scroll, reads the passage from Isaiah that they've all heard a hundred times, something about the promised Messiah, the one anointed by the Holy Spirit who comes to set them free, free from sin, free from suffering, free from oppression, yada, yada, yada. Huh. Now this guy must have taken a public speaking class. He's actually pretty good at reading out loud. He's got enough volume for everyone to hear without having to shout. He looks up from his text to make eye contact, modulates his voice. Not bad. But, you know, even the Greeks can do that and they manage to say nothing at all. So far, so good. Surprising, sure. Maybe even amazing. Let's hear what he has to say about the passage, whatever it was. Then Jesus sits down to give his sermon. A baby starts crying over on the women's side of the room. He smiles. Did he always have those warm brown eyes? And did they always kind of crinkle up on the sides when he smiled? 
He doesn't look nervous at all. (laughs) I would be. The baby settles down. It's only nine words long, but Jesus gives the most shocking commentary on Isaiah's messianic prophecy imaginable. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wait, what? Did he just say what I think he said? No, he did. But, but that would mean, but that would make him that he thinks he's, he's claiming to be, no, 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 no. That's impossible because declaring that you are the Messiah, the son of the Almighty, is crazy. Or worse, blasphemous. A guy like that could get himself killed making claims like that. The atmosphere in the room changes from curious to hostile. Who does he think he is? We know him. We know his mother. And though we would never say it to her face, everybody knows why Joseph had to move their wedding date up a lot earlier than it was scheduled to be. Now that Joseph, he was a good man. He accepted their shame with humility and patience And the joints in that milking stool that he made for me a month before he died? Good workmanship. No wobbling. No squeaking. It's a good thing that this sermon was short. Because one more offensive word out of that upstart's mouth and we'd show him how we Nazarenes treat someone who blasphemes God in our village. If that's the kind of trashy homiletics they teach in the city, then they can keep him far away from us, simple, God-fearing folk. Wonder worker. Ha! I'd like to see him float an axe out of the river like Elisha did. Now that's what I call a miracle. Meanwhile, Jesus is sitting there looking at familiar faces. Without their even noticing, he performs a miracle. He reads each and every one of their hearts and minds. He looks into their souls. The shepherd knows his sheep. This astonishingly underrated spiritual gift of intuition is mentioned five times in Luke's gospel. Sure, walking on water sounds like fun. Maybe a little damp, especially if you're wearing socks with your sandals. And healing a leper would be so gross yet also weirdly satisfying to watch. But can you imagine the joy of fully knowing and being known? That is intimate love. Or the fathomless grief that comes with seeing such evil and corruption in a person's spirit that you know that they will reject your offer of abundant life. This spiritual gift feels to me like a blessing and a curse at the same time. And it's never casual. He can sense rejection, churning like bile in their bellies. Their clammy hearts snap shut. And their pitiless provincial minds pucker. Jesus is not at all surprised or threatened by rejection. It was inevitable. Maybe even necessary. But it still hurts. Isaiah himself, in another messianic prophecy, anticipated this. He was despised and rejected by others. Psalm 118 prophesied this by saying, The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 
The Gospel of John later acknowledged that he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. King Herod wanted to kill baby Jesus so badly he committed mass infanticide. When Jesus called Simon Peter to become a disciple, the fisherman replied, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. At least Peter recognized that the problem was his own sinfulness, not Jesus. But it was still a rejection until Peter opened his heart to abundant grace and unconditional love and became the Lord's right-hand man. Later, several people thought they might want to follow Jesus, but when they counted the cost, they just couldn't make the commitment and turned away. At one point, even his own family came to Capernaum to try to convince him to give up this Messiah business and come home to Nazareth with them. When Jesus said we had to eat his flesh and drink his blood or there is no life in us, he lost many followers. Most of the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus, tried to shut him down by trickery, by false accusations, and finally, by conspiracy to commit murder. But for me, the ultimate and most painful rejection of Jesus came when just a few days after welcoming him with palm branches, declaring them their king, the Jerusalem mob turned on Jesus and called for his death. Crucify him. Crucify him. He came into the world knowing that he would face all this because he loves us and knew he was the only one who could save us from ourselves. Still, it's got a sting. Being rejected in your own hometown by your former neighbors and friends, what should he do? Say he was just kidding about the whole Messiah, Messiah business and just let it go? Beg them to listen? Argue with them? Maybe call down fire and brimstone from heaven and just wipe Nazareth off the face of the earth? Maybe heal the rash behind that guy's left knee? Or maybe just shake the dust off his feet and move on to Capernaum, where his new friends live. Instead, in a spectacular display of fully human, righteous anger, Jesus lets them have it. He whacks the hornet's nest. He pokes the bear. It's the verbal equivalent of knocking over the tables in the temple and whipping people out of his father's house with a knotted cord. I know what you're thinking, he says. And I'm paraphrasing here. Actually, I'm not paraphrasing. I am embellishing. I'm making all kinds of stuff up here. But I promise that I will not contradict Scripture. Remember, religious imagination, okay? You're a stubborn and stiff-necked people. You always were, and you always will be. Do you think my father made you his chosen people so you could sit back, crack open a beer, and think you're special? Complacency makes me sick. There's nothing casual about having a relationship with God, the Father Almighty. You had one job. You were supposed to draw all nations, all people into a relationship with the one true God. Now I've come to do something new. And I'm recruiting people to send them out into the wide world, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, and bringing the good news with them. You want the prophet Elijah? 
Well, the chosen people rejected him. So he closed up shop and went to work miracles in the land of your enemies. You want Elisha to heal your rash? Remember, the only leper he cured was an infidel from Syria. You have been longing for a Messiah, a Savior to rescue you and give you a future. Greatness, even. But when he shows up on your door, you poo-poo his claims, deny him his rightful authority, and contemplate violence against a guest. I know who I am, and I know why I am here. You cannot diminish me, and I won't let you get in my way. You've got free will, as long as you're thinking clearly. You can either join me or get out of the way, the truth and the life. As you can see, that goes just about how you'd expect it would. Rejection turns homicidal. They run him out of town on a rail. They prepare to throw him off a precipice. According to Jewish scholars, involuntary cliff diving (laughs) was actually the preferred way of stoning someone to death. The person you're punishing dies a lot faster that way. And if you let gravity do the killing, you have no blood on your hands. That's what they were up to. Except Jesus performed another miracle. He passes through their midst untouched. He goes to Capernaum where the first thing he does is preach in their synagogue. And then to everyone's astonishment performs an exorcism in the synagogue. Right there in front of God and everybody setting a captive Is it possible to be amazed by the words of Jesus and yet remain untouched? I'm afraid so. Is it possible to have a casual relationship with him? Probably not. Though we like to believe so, especially if we've grown up knowing about Jesus all our lives. We have that small town familiarity with him. That's what this gospel, this is what that gospel sounds like to me. Oh, I remember when he was a cute little baby, but they grow up so fast, don't they? He talked about love all the time, made people feel better. And wasn't it sad that the bad guys killed him? But it's okay now, because God brought him back to life. He's gone again, but maybe he'll come back soon. Probably not. But we're mostly on our own. Sure, I pray. But I don't really expect an answer. And if I'm a good boy, I'll get to go to heaven when I die and see him there, along with my mom, who I really miss. That's not the gospel. And it's not what a vibrant, active, personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ is like. That small town, small-minded thinking, like the people of Nazareth. So what is the gospel? What does Jesus want from us and for us? Well, it's pretty clear. So clear, in fact, it's both awesome and terrifying in its implications. Let's take another quick look back at last week's passage from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As Father Jordan said last week, that is Jesus' mission statement. Now, as we sit here together in this Christian synagogue, 
Let's hear what the our Messiah Jesus tells us from a somewhat longer sermon from Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to the one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it for me. Members of my family. Jesus identifies with the hurting, broken people he came to save. And there is nothing casual about that. He has come to heal the hurting, to set the captives free. But he never intended to do it all himself. By his grace and spirit, we are invited to share in his mission to the poor and the marginalized. Jesus gave the disciples, that's us, we're the disciples now. He gave the disciples authority in his name over unclean spirits to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness. As you go, proclaim the good news, he said. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. You received freely. Give freely. Do what I'm doing, what you've seen me do. Do it and do even more all over the world. Not only do we have the authority to act in his name, we have the Holy Spirit to make it possible to do his will. The Messiah has come to our city, to our neighborhood, to our church, to your hearts. Will you receive him or will you send him away? somewhere else. If you choose to welcome Jesus as your Savior, what will you receive from him? What kind of a commitment, what kind of sacrifice to your comfortable worldview does he ask of you? And where will his Holy Spirit take you? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.